0: Hey, welcome to the Neighbors Church podcast and the second to last teaching in our value series. I gotta say, these last two teachings I have been the most excited about. We've been building a foundation and now we're getting to the place that I've really wanted to get to, which is talking about the Holy Spirit. So, our teaching's gonna be taken from Acts chapter one, verses one through eight. I'll read for you and we'll get right after it. Luke says to his friend Theophilus, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Spirit, we just invite you to come now and impart to us your wisdom and your guidance. And would you empower us to hear your words and obey you? In Jesus' name, amen. So the passage that I just read is Luke's historical account of the very beginnings of the church of Jesus of Nazareth. What unfolded after this introduction in the book of Acts was this explosive church planting movement. And that movement has literally transformed history and all of humanity, and in some measure, all of creation. And in many ways, Neighbors Church, right now, this is where we are. We're where Luke starts the book of Acts. What we're doing is we're carrying on what started 2,000 years ago. And we are praying that God multiplies his work through us in the coming years and in the coming decades. One of the most important things to note from our passage is that Jesus's instructions to his community of disciples at the beginning of a church planting movement wasn't on evangelistic strategy. Jesus didn't sit down those first apprentices and say to them, okay, I want you to read a bunch of books on organizational systems as we get ready to build out my church. He didn't tell them, I want you to take some classes on cultural and emotional intelligence so you know how to speak across the cultural barriers. No, at the beginning of the church planting movement, Jesus commanded those who were there, wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, that's what we're talking about over these next two teachings waiting for, praying for, and experiencing the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So, understand something. Church plants and churches in general, if they're healthy, are full of energy and excitement. And there's this incredible amount of movement all around us, there's a lot of hope and expectations, and all of that is really good because new babies are super exciting. But there's also danger in church plants. There's temptations in church plants. Church plants, understand, are planted by God. Church plants exist by God's power, and church plants are to fulfill God's agenda. Church plants are miraculous organisms first, knit together these networks of relationships by God Himself, and they are organizations second. Now, because there's a ton of energy and a lot of movement and expectations, church plants and those within church plants, well, we can begin doing things in our own power. We can unintentionally be formed by what culture and the world and even the church world says, this is the way to do it. This is what success is. This is how to be doing it right. Now, 40 years ago, uh, the great Francis Schaefer. He was talking about what issues and dangers the future generations of the church would face. And he said this The real problem will always be this the church of the Lord Jesus, individually or corporately, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than the spirit. The central problem is always in the midst of God's people, not in the circumstances surrounding them. If we do not want to waste our lives, then we must understand the importance of having a humble, quiet heart and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Now, one of the most important pastoral writers of our generation, Eugene Peterson, he actually writes about in his memoir, Facing the Temptation to Neglect the Holy Spirit and Do Things in Humans' Ways at the very beginning of his church plan. He writes, I was being told by experts, so called, in the field of church that my main task was to run a church after the manner of those who run service stations, grocery stores, corporations, banks, hospitals, and financial services. Many church experts wrote books and gave lectures on how to do it. I was astonished to learn in one of those best selling books that the size of my parking lot had more to do with how things fared in my congregation than my choice of texts in preaching. I was being lied to, and I knew it. Now, this is what Eugene Peterson calls the Americanization of congregation. This is the Americanization of congregation, he says. We turn each congregation into a market for religious consumers, an ecclesiastical business. Ecclesiastical means church. We turn it into a church business, run along the lines of advertising techniques, organizational flow charts, and energized by impressive motivational rhetoric. God, may it not be so. At the beginning of our church, we want to face this this temptation head on. The temptation to organize like a business. The temptation to trust our own ability, or an organizational strategy, or some leadership guru's ideas. We want to do what Jesus instructed. That is, wait for, pray for, and be empowered by a total immersion into the Holy Spirit. And that's really, you guys, why I opted to make our first teaching series on our core values, simplicity, stillness, and spirit. These values, as I've said many times, they're like filters for our community. They help us discern if we're overcomplicating things because we're trying to fulfill someone else's agenda other than God's agenda for us. And our values compel us to slow down and attune ourselves to God's presence and activity so that when we're moving, we're actually moving as he wills. In previous teachings, we've been introducing bodily practices like silence and solitude and Sabbath-keeping. And those practices, they align us with our values of simplicity and stillness. And these first two values, simplicity, stillness, and those bodily practices, silence, solitude, Sabbath-keeping, I apologize for all the S's. I didn't intend for that to happen. The point being, all of these values and these practices, they are a means to an end, and that End is intimate union with God the Holy Spirit. And this third value of spirit, it is about our unceasing commitment to listening to and surrendering to and partnering with and being empowered by God the Holy Spirit in all of our thoughts and our words and our deeds. So think of the first two values of simplicity and stillness. Those are like house framers, they're building something. Simplicity builds our identity on the fact that God made us and we are his unconditionally loved children, responding in loyal obedience to his love. And so we don't build our value on what we own or what others say about us or what we do. Stillness builds a life that is centered and focused on God's love and his presence and his present activity in us and through us in any given moment of our day. And so In this metaphorical house built by simplicity, built by stillness, we learn to become friends with the Holy Spirit. We learn to hear His voice, which is often very, very quiet. We begin to pay special attention to Him. We have conversations with Him. Our first two values, they take us inward, they slow us down, and they remove anything that's not of God. But this third value of Spirit moves us outward into our spheres of influence in God's timing and power, as now we're partnered with Him in doing God's will in the world. These three values simplicity, stillness, and Spirit what they are doing in my mind is they're striking a balance between multiple church traditions multiple kind of tributaries of the church through history and multiple church emphases that have developed over the years of the church. So what I'm about to say in this section is it's fairly broad generalizations. I I say that up front, but I hope it gets the idea across. Simplicity and stillness and the practices that produce those postures of heart, like silent solitude, Sabbath keeping, those values and those practices have traditionally been emphasized in what we call mystic or contemplative Christianity. Contemplative Christianity. Contemplative Christianity and the gurus therein teach us to slow down, to see God in all things, to become aware of him in the normal, the mundane, the present moments. In contrast, talk of the Holy Spirit and teachings and emphasizing the Holy Spirit and his role in the church has traditionally been emphasized in what we call charismatic Christianity. Now, charismatic Christianity isn't called charismatic because it's the section of the church that's super smooth and super winsome in its interactions with the world. That's not at all what's going on. Uh, Charismatic is taken from the Greek word charismata, which is the apostle Paul's way of describing charismata is how he describes how the Holy Spirit manifests, comes upon, and empowers his people with gifts and abilities to go and express God's mission in the world. And so charismatic, charismata, charismatic Christianity, historically is associated with some of the stranger gifts and manifestations that we see in the New Testament. Things like speaking in tongues, prophesying, um, and And really throughout the history of the Pentecostal and the charismatic movements, it's been associated with a whole host of behaviors that are anything but going into the stillness and being quiet and contemplating. And so if contemplative Christianity is sort of the awkward, quiet, and introverted part of the family of Jesus, then charismatic Christianity might be considered the kind of crazy uncle that we all either love or avoid because you just never know what kind of explosive things are going to happen whenever he's around, you know, this guy that we all meet at our family reunions. This tradition, though, the tradition of charismatic Christianity, they really do teach us to believe that the Holy Spirit, he is the one who must empower us and do the work. And charismatic Christianity reminds us that God wants to empower us. He wants intimate relationship and partnership with us. Charismatic Christianity, honestly, of all the families and all the traditions and tributaries of Christian practice and life in the body of Christ, charismatic Christianity lives boldly. They live in a space of huge risk, and they live in radical dependence on God's guidance and ability to do what God wants in the world. Now, neighbors and this growing family of churches, Park Hill and the other churches that we're a part of up and down the West Coast, We want to be contemplative charismatics. Let me just say that again. I believe the next move of God in the world through the church is going to produce a church that is both contemplative, silent, still, living out of simplicity, practicing Sabbath, resting, being restored, but also charismatic, explosively expressing with radical risk the power of God in this world through humans in partnership with him. Charismatic contemplatives, contemplative charismatics. That's who we want to be. We want to embrace both traditions. Now, these two poles, contemplative practices and charismatic expression of gifts, I think they're necessary to live a full life in the Holy Spirit. Slowing down and contemplating God opens the door for the Holy Spirit to truly commune with us, which leads us to this unadulterated charismatic manifestation of his mission. So, We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit at the end of this teaching and next week in depth, but I want to take just 10 more minutes and I want to put all of us that are listening to this on the same page as a unified family. Historically, the doctrine or teaching on the Holy Spirit has been a very divisive topic within Jesus's church. And I think there's really three today, three categories of responses that people have when teaching on the Holy Spirit comes up. Now, category one response, and you were probably turned onto this podcast by a friend because they wanted you to listen to these teachings, and and you're unfamiliar with uh, the church and the Bible, and and your response may be this: Who or what is the Holy Spirit, and what kind of weird cult am I getting myself into? You know, this this response comes from the person who wasn't raised in the church. Um, you've held a predominantly materialistic or naturalistic worldview and have not had a lot of exposure to the Bible's teachings and to who God is. And honestly, um, this response and this person has a ton of questions about everything that's being said right now and so many other things. And this person usually has a lot of doubt and a general level of uncertainty, skepticism, and maybe even cynicism about all of this. And if that's you, I want you to know that your response is perfectly justified, and you are still welcome. In fact, you are invited and welcomed into the community of faith at neighbors or any other church that follows Jesus. There are a ton, and I will be the first to say this, a ton of bizarre teachings in the Bible, and they do not line up with our modern world view or way of thinking and perceiving this world. And we're going to come across them over and over and over as we teach through the pages of scriptures. But my exhortation to you is to listen with an open heart and an open mind. And this is why. Science, psychology, philosophy, these disciplines, they tell us a lot about the universe. And I consider them invaluable disciplines. We need them. But they still leave a ton of questions unanswered. And that is where theology steps in. Theology is the study of God, words on God. And so we're all trying, every one of us, trying to answer questions about ultimate reality and theology, and in particular Christian theology, which I subscribe to and teach, answers the big and the ultimate questions by revealing a God who is there, a God who interacts with us, His creation, a God who wants to transform the brokenness of this world, and a God who loves us infinitely. All of us, every human on this planet, has a theological construct of belief. We all have a theology, a set of beliefs about God. Atheists have a belief, a theology about God. They simply believe that there is no God. Agnostics have a theology. They believe that there is a God, but that he, she, it can't be known. Spiritual people abound in our culture, and each of them have a set of theological beliefs, oftentimes contradictory one unto another, but a spiritual set of beliefs, a theology about God and the afterlife and the ultimate questions in all the major world religions including Christianity, have particular theologies. And so I think what I'm saying is right now, if your theology and your answers aren't super clear and there's doubt and there's uncertainty and cynicism and, uh, or levels of cynicism, that's okay. Questions and doubt and investigation, that's wonderful and seeking answers. That is amazing. And I want to commend you for even having the courage to listen into a podcast like this. You're obviously curious and the ironic thing about all of this is that Christian theology, what the Bible lays out, in particular the New Testament, Christian theology says that this thing that's concerning and, and you're doubting the Holy Spirit in this metaphysical world that I'm talking about, Christian theology says that the Holy Spirit himself is actually stirring in you the curiosity that's drawing you to listen to a podcast like this. It's it's mind-blowing. And as you stick around and as you listen and as you grow and as you learn, some of the questions and the doubts that you have, they may be slowly answered. Now, I've been in this world for 20 years now. Like you, when I first became a Christian, I had no exposure to the Bible, no exposure to the church, clueless. And this stuff takes time, but you've taken the first step. And it's wonderful to be here and listening with doubts and questions and uncertainty. And I want you to know, and I can assure you, because he's done this for me, God loves you. And he will answer what he thinks is best for you in his timing. Now, the second category of response when teaching on the Holy Spirit comes up is basically this. Oh, no. Man, are things going to start getting weird at this church from the very beginning? Now, this response comes from the individual who's had a church experience that they found very strange and made them terribly uncomfortable. Uh, In other words, they were at a charismatic or a Pentecostal church, And that crazy uncle uh, that some of us just love, uh, they decided, I want to avoid this situation for the rest of my life. Sometimes our brothers and sisters in the name of the Holy Spirit have behaved in ways that may or may not have been in line with the Bible. Sometimes our brothers and sisters in the name of the Holy Spirit have behaved in ways that may or may not have been empowered and led by the Holy Spirit in truth. And it was those experiences, and I'm not making a judgment. I'm not saying they were or weren't biblical or not biblical, were or weren't spirit-led or not spirit-led. I just know those experiences turned you away from seeking the Holy Spirit and opening yourself to Him. Now, there are also godly traditions that unintentionally, or some of them even intentionally, have de-emphasized, because He's so divisive, the teaching is so divisive, have de-emphasized talk about the Holy Spirit. And they have, in those traditions, tended to overemphasize teachings on scriptures or Jesus alone or the atonement. And so this topic of the Holy Spirit was avoided or never brought up, and maybe it's new and strange to you. Suffice it to say, if your response is to be afraid or nervous or uncomfortable around this teaching, I want you to know that your response is justified, and you are 100% welcome at neighbors and any other Jesus-following church with your nervous caution Really, the hope for us and the prayer for us at Neighbors is to the best of our ability to learn to listen and rely on and do what the Holy Spirit is doing in accord with biblical teaching. We will endeavor to not neglect the Spirit, nor overemphasize Him to the neglect of any other necessary teaching or doctrine of the Church. We want our Bibles open on our laps and our hearts open to the Spirit's work. And yes, we may like our brothers and sisters before us, get some things wrong. But we may also, as we press in and seek, like our brothers and sisters before us, get some things right. And when we get those things right, we get to see God work through us for the sake of a new generation of the church. And that generation of the church is being raised up to be a touchpoint between heaven and earth as God renews our culture and renews the church. I want us to look forward to that possibility and pray for it. And I want to invite you to come along with us on that journey. Now, ironically, I'd also invite you, if you're nervous about the Holy Spirit, to trust the Holy Spirit to guide you. The Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 26 through 27, You have received the Holy Spirit, and He lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what He teaches is true. It is not a lie. So, just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. God loves you. He does not want to lead you astray. God gives you discernment. And so, learn to listen to him as you go on this journey together with us. Now, the third category of response on teachings to the Holy Spirit is this. Yes! This is going to be a Holy Spirit-filled, led church. Let the fire come. And you're just kind of bouncing out of your seat right now. Now, this response comes from the person who in the past has had moments, experiential moments, with God the Holy Spirit that were life-transforming or powerful or illuminating, and they want more. And I'm excited as you are. I'm just as excited as you are. And it's beautiful. But this excitement, it needs to be checked. It needs to be... Uh, Yes, checked, checked by the scriptures and checked by our church's culture. Two things that kind of put check on the excitement about going for and depending on and waiting on the Holy Spirit. First of all, scripture. Scripture always guides what we are doing in the name of the Holy Spirit. I just want to highlight this. You'll notice that in this teaching, I've mentioned going to the Bible, seeing what the Bible says about this, seeing what the Bible says about that about a hundred times already. Um, October 27th, we're going to be launching into our Pillar Series, the things upon which Neighbors is going to be built. And pillar number one is Word and Spirit. Word and Spirit. We are a people formed by the Bible. And in that session, we're going to talk about what the Bible is and why can we trust it. But until then, know this. We believe that the Scriptures, objective Scriptures unchanging scriptures, they reveal God. We believe God, the Holy Spirit, was and is involved with the very words of the Bible. And we believe the Holy Spirit is the God who speaks. So the two, word and spirit, they go hand in hand. And when one is left without the other, we are misguided. Now, the second check for those of us that are super excited and anticipating God moving in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, we, need to be, we need to be checked by the unique church culture that's going to be in formation as we grow together as a family. So think of it this way. You've had dinner at different families' homes. You've interacted with them in their homes at different dinner settings. Some families are super mannered around the dinner table. Dad doesn't allow for hats on heads while they eat, like with me. If if my brother and I sat down with hats on our heads at dinner, I'd get a smack across the forehead as he was knocking my hat off of my head. (laughs) Um, At these particular families, uh, as the dinner table is surrounded by the different members, one person talks while everybody else listens quietly and respectfully. Uh, Maybe the silverware is placed in a very certain way, and it's never out of order. And then there's other families that you've eaten with, and let's just say they're a little more loose at dinner. Hats are worn, everyone is having a side conversation with each other, Uh, depending on their background and their kind of demeanor. It can sound like they're actually fighting with each other in some cases, but they're just really having an intense conversation and the silverware is all mismatched and everybody's just going for it. Here's what I want to say with these families. Neither is necessarily right or wrong. It's just those particular families' cultures and their ways of behaving when they're together. So as we pursue the Holy Spirit, all of us are going to come with histories and cultures and certain behaviors and ways of expressing and expectations of how we express ourselves at these gatherings on Sundays in our small groups. Our church family culture is a culture in formation. And I have to be forthright as one of the father figures, so to speak, in our community, there are going to be things that we do and that we don't do, not because it's necessarily right or wrong, but because this is how our particular family is going to behave with each other when we have guests and when we're with each other. I hope that that actually makes sense, and I hope it excites us as all of this is taking shape. We get to discover who we are and how we behave together, and that's the joy of a church plant. Everything is new and information. So let's just pray to committing to be unified in that as we journey together. So with all of that being said, I'm going to close this teaching um, by talking specifically about the Holy Spirit very briefly. More details on this next week. The Bible is unapologetically mysterious and paradoxical on certain things, but crystal clear on others. And what he has and what the Bible has revealed is that God is a God that interacts with his creation, and he is involved with us at every level. And the unique revelation that God has given us of himself is that he is triune. God is a trinity. God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, but one in essence. This is Christian orthodoxy. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. They are three distinct personages, but one in essence. Humans have been trying to explain the mystery of that grand doctrine of the church for millennia now and have failed abysmally. That paradoxical mystery is our starting point with the Holy Spirit, he is part of the Godhead, part of the creative engine that brought all that is. He is the eternal being that is part and parcel of bringing us about. God the Holy Spirit is fully God, distinct from the Father and the Son, but one in essence with them. And we actually see all three uh, of, the, of the parts of the Godhead at work in the Gospel of Matthew at the baptism of Jesus. We read from Matthew As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And so in this moment, we see the three distinct personages, the three distinct people of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, all at work with one another in temporal, tangible creation. It's actually an amazing scene. So we see that they are separate, and yet they are one. When Jesus commissioned us to go off into the world and make disciples, he commissioned us to make disciples in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, all three in one. And so as distinct from them the Holy Spirit is, and as one with them he is, he is also And this may complicate it, but he is also called the Spirit of Jesus in Acts chapter 16 and Galatians chapter 4. He's called the Spirit of the Father in Matthew chapter 10. Paul calls him the Lord, a very specific name, the Lord. He's calling him the God of the Old Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Peter explicitly in Acts chapter 5 calls the Holy Spirit God. And here's where I want to land the plane. The Holy Spirit is God, and as God, the Holy Spirit is our advocate. He's your helper. He's your comforter. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 14. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. And later, verses 25 through 26 of John 14, Jesus said, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. And So let me wrap this up. He is God-separate. From Father and Son, but one with them. And maybe out of all of this, as we interact with the Holy Spirit, we need to know that He is a person. What I mean by that is the Holy Spirit, He has a will. The Holy Spirit has desires that He wants to unfold in this world, and He has desires that He wants to unfold in you, for you, and through you. The Holy Spirit, He can be quenched. In other words, we can ignore him. We can turn away from his guidance and his empowerment and his wisdom because we're in relationship with him. The Holy Spirit, he can be grieved. He experiences emotion when we're not listening, when we're not yielding, when we're living in belligerent sin. The Holy Spirit, like a good friend, like a father, like, like an advocate, like a comforter, like a good counselor, is grieved. He is saddened by these things. And the Holy Spirit wants to interact with humans in partnership, in relationship. And that's what I want to invite you to do as I wrap up this teaching. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and be one with you. Allow yourself to open to his guidance, to open to his words, and his words will always align with the words of the Bible. You know you're interacting with the Spirit when He's pointing you to Jesus, when He's pointing you to the glories and the good works of the Father who has forgiven you in Jesus. I can't tell you how excited I am as our church is taking shape to be partnering with the Holy Spirit and seeing how He wants to work through us, what He wants to do through us. Because when He got a hold of those first disciples back in the book of Acts 2,000 years ago, He launched a church planting movement that changed the world. And I think we should pray for no less. Blessings on you.